G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Sarah is fearfully and wonderfully made. And he said to me on that night, he said, as much as you love her, I love her more. And I realised his plan for Sarah is more than I can ever imagine. If you're a parent or a caregiver who is a child with an additional needs, you'd be aware of some of the challenges. We'd like to share some of the highs and lows of the day-to-day journey of a family with special needs and how you and I can help support them. Today's guest is Meredith Swift, author of How Do I Do This? A collation of interviews from parents from across the globe who have children with special needs. That's Meredith Swift, our guest today with my wife Kate and myself Brett Ryan from Focus on the Family Australia. Before we get into the interview with Meredith, we'd like to share with you a poem by Emily Pearl Kingsley and it's called Welcome to Holland. When you're going to have a baby, it's like you're planning a vacation to Italy. You're all excited, you get a whole bunch of guidebooks, you learn a few phrases so you can get around and then it comes time to pack your bags and head for the airport. Only when you land, the stewardess says, Welcome to Holland. You look at one another in disbelief and shock. Holland? What are you talking about? I signed up for Italy. But they explain that there's been a change of plan, that you've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. But I don't know anything about Holland, you say. I don't want to stay. But stay you do. You go out and buy some new guidebooks, you learn some new phrases, and you meet people you never knew existed. The important thing is that you are not in a bad place filled with despair. You're simply in a different place than you had planned. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a little while and you have had a chance to catch your breath, you begin to discover that Holland has windmills, Holland has tulips and Holland has Rembrandts. But everyone else you know is busy coming and going from Italy. They're all bragging about what a great time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, yes, that's what I had planned. The pain of that will never go away. You have to accept that pain because the loss of that dream, the loss of that plan is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, you will never be free to enjoy this very special, the very lovely things about Holland. Well, welcome to the program, Meredith. Well, thanks so much, and thanks for having me. When you hear that, and I understand that that's included in your book, yes. what goes through your mind? Do you remember when you arrived at Holland? <laughs> yes, I do remember it very clearly. My daughter was actually eight when she was diagnosed. She's 26 now. I remember sitting across from the psychiatrist and just feeling completely numb, really. Just what does that mean, you know? And The journey has been one of coming to accept that Holland has many lovely things and many good things about it, but getting used to the fact that I'm in Holland and that my daughter Sarah, the dreams and hopes that I had for her, they took a whole different dimension. So yeah, I do remember 
very numb, feeling overwhelmed, just, yeah, what on earth am I going to do? Tell us a little bit about your daughter, about what her diagnosis is. Sarah is autistic and she's nonverbal. She also has something which is called sensory processing disorder, which she experiences the senses in a very different way. They're very heightened and very overwhelming at times. And she also has epilepsy. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. And you said that your daughter was diagnosed at the age of eight. Yes. Obviously, there were some things going on for you to get that investigated. Were you thinking that this is probably the case, her diagnosis? Yes, I was. So bearing in mind that this was back in the mid-1990s and back then autism was nowhere near what I would describe as the epidemic that it is nowadays. And the research that I'd done, because I had done research thinking, yes, Sarah is autistic, suggested that very few girls had autism. But, you know, Sarah was was already in the, like the disability stream, if you like, because she had been firstly diagnosed with an intellectual impairment, uh, because back in the 90s, People were loath to diagnose autism until the child was much older. Well, that's not the case nowadays. You can get diagnosed quite young, even like babies can be screened for autism. So Sarah already had support and she had a teacher's aide in a mainstream school. Mm -hmm. And they would say to me, look, we really think Sarah is autistic. You just got to get the diagnosis so you can get her the help that she needs. If you're going back to that diagnosis, it places an enormous strain on relationships. Yeah. As I understand, you've had your own challenges within your relationship prior and then it only got worse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the struggles and the challenges that I had was that I was married to a man, I'm now divorced from him, who was very abusive, physically and emotionally and mentally abusive, very abusive emotionally towards Sarah would say terrible things about her, such as you're wasting your time and all that sort of thing. A lot of drug and alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, We moved a lot. So I used to have to fight to kind of stay in one place because stability, it's important for any child, but especially for a child with special needs. Mm. It was always that battle with trying to make sure Sarah was getting the help she needed, trying to live in a domestic violence situation. And I left my husband probably half a dozen times, but always he'd track us down. So there was enormous strain that I was under and I wasn't a believer until quite a bit later in my life. So I didn't have the perspective or the relationship with Jesus that would have sustained me, but I always felt protected in some way because there were times when I really feared for my life, but he always seemed to supply the people, even though I had no awareness that it was him, that I needed in my life and was protected to a certain extent up until I was able to make the break permanently and break Mm -hmm. free and divorce him. So are you able to tell us about the journey of how you found God in all of this? I was a kindergarten teacher for many years and I worked in a, a kindergarten in a place here in far north Queensland called Ingham and one of the teachers that I worked with was a born again Christian. She used to witness to me and she used to talk to me about this relationship with Jesus. And I think, oh, you know, I couldn't be a Christian, you know, they're good and I'm not good and I've got an abusive husband and all the rest of the rubbish. I had my friend witnessing to me and I had this young pastor and his family and my mum in Victoria was very ill. She ended up passing away and I ended up going down there for the funeral. 
And I met the priest and I remember thinking, if there was a priest like that where I live, I'd go to church. Anyway, I went back and my mum had passed away, which was very difficult. And I started to realise, and I'd been in the New Age, which was a whole other story in itself, but the New Age, it didn't fill this hole that I became aware that I had inside me. I describe it as a raw and aching wound that I just couldn't fill with anything. I tried with so many different things. And my friend would talk about Jesus, and I think, I want to know Jesus. I just want to know him. But I was very scared. I had a lot of fear. Anyway, one day my friend said to me, look, just come and have a cup of tea and we'll do some praying because we used to pray. And so we went and then we're praying and she said, look, do you want to accept Jesus now? Because you can. And I was so scared. My heart was pounding and I just said, okay. And she prayed the prayer and I accepted Jesus. And then she said, do you feel any different? And I said, oh, not really. Anyway, went to drive home and on the way home I said to God, God, if you're real, I want you to give me a sign. You know, like I look back and think, gosh, (laughs) what was I thinking? But that's what I said to God. And I got home and my younger daughter, because she's a couple of years younger than Sarah, she said to me, Mum, guess what happened to me at school today? And I said, oh, what happened? Because I was going to tell her what happened to me, but I thought she can go first. And she said to me, well, these people from this place called Gideon's Bible came to the school. And I said, oh, yeah. And I started to feel all tingly. And she said, and they gave us all Bibles. And I said, oh, yeah. And she said, and I prayed a prayer that was in the back of the Bible, and I've accepted Jesus. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) What a beautiful story. That is. I've got goosebumps now. Yeah, that's right. It was amazing. And I, I just knew, I said in myself, okay, I guess I've got my sign. Yeah. Because... And then from that moment on, I walked with my pastor and his wife and linked in with their church, and I had a lot of beautiful Christian women come around me, and and that helped me. That was maybe a year before I actually got the courage to leave my marriage permanently. But yeah, that's how I came to faith. So it was like a switch turning from black and white to technicolor. After that, it was just like, whoa, and just things took off. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. But I can imagine there'd be people listening today and saying, that's a wonderful, wonderful story. But it doesn't automatically go into making sense of everything. If God is so loving and so caring and so compassionate, why has this happened? Why is my life as it is? And and why couldn't God intervene and heal my daughter? How did you grapple with all of that? Yeah, well, that was a very big question that I grappled with early in my faith. And I used to talk to God. And I'd be very angry with God and I'd say, look, you've promised in the Bible you're going to heal. Why don't you heal Sarah, you know? Like I was very angry with him for a long time as part of my faith journey. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, all through the Bible, you know, there's people who got healed. Why can't Sarah be healed? But, you know, what I came to realize in the journey was that Sarah, it's not that she has autism. It's not something she caught. It's something that she is. God has made her that way for a reason, for a purpose. And as part of my journey to come to grips with that, I remember one time when Sarah got very, very sick, seven years after I came to Christ, and she had a very bad UTI and she actually nearly died from it. It was just a terrible time. And I remember lying in bed one night crying out to God and saying, look, I don't know why you're doing this. You know, I was blaming him so much. And all of a sudden, 
it's like he came close to me and I just felt this peace. I can't describe it, but it was just incredible. And I remember saying to Jesus, I don't know why you're doing this. And when I look back, I think it isn't God doing it. I don't know why you're doing this, but I'm going to trust you. And he took me on a journey from being like, I felt like I had to fix Sarah. I had to do all this stuff for Sarah to make her better. He brought me to this realization, and I still, every day, I'm living it out, that Sarah is fearfully and wonderfully made. And he said to me on that night, he said, as much as you love her, I love her more. Hmm. And I realized his plan for Sarah is more than I can ever imagine. And that acceptance of realizing Sarah is who she is for a reason. She's autistic. She doesn't have autism. She needs help to manage the behaviors and the challenges and get good support like all of us in our lives. But yeah, I moved from that place of blaming, being angry to this place of, wow, look at Sarah. Look who she is. Look what she's achieving. Wow. And God did all that. You know, God changed my heart, which is what he said he would do. I will heal your heart. I will give you a clean heart. And that's what he's done and he's doing for me and Sarah in our journey. That's wonderful. I was just uh, actually looking at um, some scripture this morning in Psalm 40 and, he, you know, he heard our cry and he lifts us out of our miry clay Yeah, and he's going to do a new thing and, yeah. you know, he has promised to do a new thing in our hearts yep. if we're prepared to let him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to be prepared, you know, and accepting things as they are while wanting to, you know, to get her all the help that she needed, but accepting things as they were and where she was at was just such a huge learning and it just changed everything for me and for her the way I related to her. Today's guest is Meredith Swift, author of How Do I Do This? A collation of interviews from parents from across the globe who have children with special needs. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Welcome back to Focus on the Family Australia. I'm Brett Ryan. Today's guest is Meredith Swift, author of How Do I Do This?, you know, your book's the bringing together of a whole lot of stories from parents across the world. What are some of the common elements that you found when you gave them a series of questions to answer? What were some of the commonalities that they have? Uh, well, the commonalities, a lot of them are, you know, the stresses and the feeling overwhelmed and the beginning of the journey and not knowing where to turn to then putting in place the sorts of therapies that a lot of our children need. So speech therapy, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, all sorts of things like that. If the child has a physical disability, you know, getting wheelchairs and things like that. And I should actually just take a moment for people listening here. When we talk about additional needs or special needs, it's quite broad. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, your journey with your daughter, uh, she's on the autism spectrum, but there's a whole variety of different disorders. In fact, I read one article that actually said 
of the whole world population, 15 to 20% have a disability of some description. So we should be referring that we should all be better informed about this because either someone we know, someone we love, someone that we work with or associated with will have someone connected to someone who has a disability. And so this is the reason why it's such a rich conversation to have to better inform us about the highs and lows of having a child with an additional need. And I think the way that Australia is heading with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, that is bringing inclusion and disability to the forefront, where a lot of people who've had disabilities in the past are like isolated because yeah. of the behavioural challenges or because of, you know, the parents just feeling like they can't take their kids anywhere because of the challenges. But I think that that's changing for the better to bringing people with disability to be included in society, but not just included, to be seen and, and respected as you know a rich part of society. Because people with disabilities, and I'm like talking about autism in particular, you know, people are autistic, they think differently. Their senses are very supersonic is a way to describe it. So they can sense and discern and pick up on emotions. And it's bringing those sort of gifts in to be celebrated and people with disability, the big community, and to bring that into society and to say, hey, look, this is another dimension to being an inclusive society and a society that respects all people. So tell us a little bit about your book and what prompted you to write it. This is my fourth book and they all focus on different parts of my life that God's used for his glory. And I would think about writing Sarah's story and I I started to write it, but it was very raw and it was very emotional even thinking about writing Sarah's story. And I have a very dear friend who has a son with a disability similar to Sarah's. And we had gone away for a couple of days and we were waiting in the airport and we were talking about me writing another book specifically about Sarah's story. And then my friend, Lisa, and she's in the book, she said to me, why don't you write stories about all the parents that you know? Why don't you write their story? And I started to feel really, really excited. Mm. And then we started bouncing these ideas off each other, so much so that we almost missed our flight (laughs) back because we were waiting in the departure lounge. You know, God is a God who goes ahead and prepares the way. And I had linked in with all of these parents in the book, either virtually online, because I used to run an autism parents support group, or people that I actually knew face-to-face. So when I was thinking about the sorts of people I knew, I realised, well, I know people who have children with all sorts of disabilities. I know people who have more than one child with a disability, like one of the ladies in the book has nine kids and seven of them have disabilities. Uh, So I thought God just, he prepared the way. So it was then just a matter of reaching out. But yeah, that prompted me from going, I can't write Sarah's story, it's too raw, to thinking, hey, I can write these people's stories and bring them all together in this book. So that's how it happened. I love the title, How Do I Do This? Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) God gave me that title in the departure lounge that day. With all my books, I feel like God has really partnered with me and he's given me the titles, the cover thing, everything. So I thought, yeah, well, that was the question I asked when I first got the diagnosis for Sarah. How on earth am I going to do this? What do I do? I had no clue. So I'm hoping that the book will give people lots of fantastic resources, information, support, and uh, just the knowing they're not alone and that the journey, as with all our kids, 
is a lifelong journey, many stages and many things that you go through, but God has a plan for everybody's life, including our kids. Yeah. So what's the thread that goes through your book in such a way as to encourage parents as they're walking through this journey? The common thread in the book is the thread of resilience, the fact that journeying with our kids has made all of us parents into people that are better, more patient, able to advocate, so very strengthening, and that no matter where you are on the stage of your special needs journey, there is always support, not just from organisations, but from reaching out and forming a community. Yeah. And for some people, that's just an online community. For others like myself, it's face-to-face and online and that this journey is a long-haul journey and that at stages we'll feel completely overwhelmed, but it's like you get up, you dust yourself off, and you keep on going. The vast majority of those who share the story, and I understand there's 22 different stories, many of them have a Christian perspective or a biblical worldview, but you've included a few people with different faiths. Can you explain the reason why? When I was writing the book, One of my main aims was to actually put my testimony in and to preach the gospel. But I included those other parents as well because it was my hope that, you know, someone would be attracted to this book who maybe doesn't have any sort of faith, including a different sort of faith, and they would pick it up and read all of the faith perspectives of the people and the Christian faith perspectives, which make up the bulk of the book, and that they would want to know more that maybe they've never heard the gospel preached before and that God can use that to bring people to him. So that was my hope that if even one person who has no awareness of Jesus and who Jesus is and you know what he came to do, which is to build that bridge between us and God and forgive us of all our sin and give us that fresh start, that they would want to know more about him and think, wow, you know, because just like me, if I hadn't had someone who witnessed to me about Jesus and who Jesus is, I would not have become, well, I don't know for sure, but my guess is I would not have become born again and be living the life I am now. What would be your last thoughts in relation to sharing on this topic? I mean, let's face it, we could talk about it for days and only scratch the surface. So what is it you would love somebody who's listening right now to hear from your heart to theirs? To just let them know that they're not alone and that there is a God who loves them and their child more deeply than they could ever imagine or know. And that this journey, while depending on the stage you're at, can seem so overwhelming because at times I used to, I would feel completely hopeless with my journey with Sarah, you know. I would be in a very dark place and think, what is going to become of Sarah? Who will ever want to be around Sarah? Because she had so many challenges, like she would experience many violent meltdowns. But to someone who's listening to let them know they're not alone, that there is support out there. God works through people. Mm-hmm. He works through organizations. There are people to connect with and there is a lot of information available nowadays, more so than when I began my journey. And just to keep close with Jesus and to give him all of what you're feeling and experiencing. Because like I said, I used to get very angry and blame him, but you know, he was okay with that. You know, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, turn to God and let God work through the people that are here to support you and who love you and your child. And as much as you love your child, he loves them more. What would you like to say to people who 
can't even imagine or even comprehend the journey of someone who has got a child with special needs and it's lifelong as you've already identified. What would you like to say to them and how they can help support someone with a child with an additional need? I think a really good way to support someone is to say to them, look, you know, I don't understand about your child's disability. Would it be okay if I asked you some questions or I just want to understand a bit more? Because there's a lot of fear that happens when you're confronted with a child with special needs. You don't know how to approach the mum or the child. But just to have that openness and that open-heartedness to want to find out more and just to do your own research, you know, because there are so many layers to having a child with special needs, the difficulties, the challenges that they face. So, yeah, don't be afraid to approach somebody who you've seen, you know, like it might be the mum dropping her child off at the school who feels all alone. And there's quite a few like that in the book, the stories of how they feel alone. The other mums are like in an exclusive club that they're not part of. But just to be that person who reaches out and says, how can I help to support you? I'd like to know more. Can you help me? You know, that sort of thing. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today, Meredith. Thank you so much, guys. I really, your ministry is amazing and I just hope, yeah, that this has touched even just one person today. I'm sure there'll be a lot more people who are being touched and being challenged and being encouraged at the same time. Today's guest was Meredith Swift, author of How Do I Do This? Her website is meredithswiftauthor.com. We hope we have provided a glimpse of the real and raw truth about raising a child with special needs and how you and I can better support them. For more information on raising special needs children, you can go to our website at families.org.au. And while you're there, you can sign up for our free e-newsletter and check us out on Facebook or YouTube. And thanks for joining us today. I'm Brett Ryan on behalf of Kate and the rest of the team. We look forward to you tuning in again for another episode of Focus on the Family, Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.